Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to finish the chapter today, Lord willing. Uh, something I have to say is I love it when this happens, how there are correlations to our Wednesday and Sunday studies. Of course, you know, because we're considering the entirety of the Bible and the things that the Lord has for us, there are, you know, uh, uh, correlations with our studies. But sometimes, you know, like on Wednesday and as we kick off Numbers, um, we see Israel, they're beginning their journey into, well, to, to the promised land. You know, unbeknownst to them, an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year journey, which is, you know, it begs the question, what in the world is going on? What happened? But then, you know, we look at Romans. When we kick off in Romans chapter 8, look at verse 1, where, you know, the Lord, through Paul, is, you know, teaching us about making the distinction between walking according to the flesh and then according to the Spirit in verse 1. And it helps us for our journeys, these truths that the Lord has for us. And for us, sometimes an 11-day journey can become a 40-year journey. Or, transversely, a 40-year journey can become an 11-day journey. And that's what's so beautiful about heeding the word of the Lord and yielding to the Holy Spirit. Yielding to the word of God. You know, we can't approach the Bible as a book of suggestions. Many people do. Sometimes many people behave like it. But that's what's so beautiful, the work that happens inside of you and inside of me. And how the Lord uh, deals with His children and even chastises His children. Because if we remember our study through Hebrews, you know, if we're without chastisement, we are illegitimate children. Illegitimate children, that's hardcore. The, the King James Version says straight up, we are bastards. I mean, you know, I don't want to be that way with the Lord. And I don't want you to be that way with the Lord. So, you know, sometimes chastising, you know, there's a there's a purpose behind it. But sometimes it still hurts. That's not to say it doesn't hurt. Because it does hurt. Look at what uh, Hebrews 12 says. In Hebrews 12 verse 11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. You see? And you know what is written uh, in verse 8, still in Hebrews 12, is if we are, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Whoa. You see, sometimes, you know, it's like as much as sometimes we don't like the correction of the Lord that we receive from his word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And yes, it is chastening. But then at the same time, it helps us. The Lord uses it. What child is without chastening? What child doesn't get spanked by their parents? Nowadays, you know, you see it. Parents don't like to spank their kids. And, you know, that was big in, in like, you know, um, I mean, like Dr. Spock, Dr. Spock was wrong. He's crazy. But all these kids who've, you know, they're, they're like adults now, the millennial generation, never been spanked before. Now look, look, we got, we see the fruit of it. You see? And what's so beautiful when the Lord chastens us, you know, there's a purpose behind it. The peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So like a kid, spanking one, spanking two, spanking three, boom, problem's gone because the child has learned. 
for us as Christians, spanking one, spanking two, spanking three, boom, we've learned. We don't make a mistake anymore. We're yielding to the Lord. Sometimes it's spanking one. And praise be to the Lord because that's how he works. He's a loving father. And so let's kick off our study in Romans 8. Verse where we left off last week. We, we left off in verse uh, uh, 17 was the last verse that we covered. And let's look at verse 18. And this is Brother Paul, beautiful, beautiful Brother Paul. And remember his witness too, what we study in the book of Acts, how he was beaten, he was preaching the word, you know, sharing the good news, and he was beaten, left for dead. You know, sometimes he would go into a town and like immediately face persecution. And they beat him. They, I mean, have you ever seen somebody beaten up so bad that they're virtually like a dead body? That's what they did with Paul. He was beaten so bad that they thought he was dead. So they take him outside the city and leave him there like, you know, a sack of potatoes. Leave him outside. A limp body, Brother Paul. But he wasn't dead. He was not dead. So this is who's writing the book of Romans. Somebody who counted the cost and was obedient to the death. And so look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see how beautiful this is when the Lord puts everything into perspective for us? And when you think about sufferings, is you know, of course, suffering, hardship, pain, and this word includes both physical and emotional. Suffering. Now, I live in America. I teach from America. And I like to refer to it as an America bubble. You know, I'm thankful for this bubble. But then at the same time, what I don't like is that it's, it, it leaves me uh, calloused to the sensitivities of the things that are happening in the persecuted church. You know, things that are happening in Sudan, Uganda, China, North Korea, Russia. Arab countries, it's terrible. It breaks my heart. And, you know, sometimes I don't like to get into the violence of what's happening to the persecuted church, but it is violent. Upon girls, upon women, upon pastor's wives, pastor's daughters, pastor's sons. A preacher of the good news, a preacher of righteousness, a teacher of righteousness. And he has to watch his family being uh, ravished they make him watch his family being ravished they cut off the children's arms and it can all stop if people start denying jesus christ and yet our brothers and sisters do not deny jesus christ and they move on to glory because they're killed you see that's why, you know, sometimes people say, why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to suffer? He is love. Why would he punish us? Why? It's not from the Lord. You know, this is, you know, don't forget that the Bible teaches that Antichrist is going to prevail against the, the Christians. And you think the Lord allows that to happen? No, you, we read the end. There's incredible victory. But for the Christian, when we put things in perspective, you know what happens? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? 
They have none. You know why? <clears throat> because eternity for us started already. We just pass on. We have, you know, it, it's like it, when you look at the book of Numbers, you have two generations. The first generation doesn't make it. They're killed in the wilderness. The second generation does make it through the River Jordan. What about you and me? First generation, our carnal nature. What about the second generation inside of you and inside of me? Living in the Spirit. You see, so you look at the two generations of the book of Numbers. The first generation was walking according to the flesh. The second generation, according to the Spirit, symbolically speaking. And what happens with them? They pass through the River Jordan. It's not to say that they don't have hardships, that they don't have sufferings, that they don't have battles, because they certainly have battles. What about you? What about me? Are we without battles? No way. Internally and externally, we talked about the battlefield of the mind. You know, the, the carnal mind is enmity with God in verse 7 of chapter 8. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. But then in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You know, and Paul started to speak about the, the spiritual mind. In verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. You see? Holy things. Righteousness. And so there's a lot of correlating passages to Numbers and Romans 8. When you consider generations, what about inside of you and inside of me? And Paul, when he suffered, he says all that suffering, you know, when I was beat down, when, you know, they made fun of me, when they did this, they beat me, they, you know, all these different things. And we studied it in the book of Acts. Now consider your own suffering. Consider your own suffering. Maybe you're beat down. Maybe people make fun of you. Maybe you have mockers in your life. Consider all your suffering as Christians. And this is what Paul says. All those things, the suffering of the present time, are not even worthy, he says. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Remember, you and me were in earth suits. I like to call these bodies. The, the person you look at in the mirror, you know, that's, that's your earth suit. We come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. All different kinds of appearances. But that's your earth, earth suit. The person you look at in the mirror. And here, it's kind of interesting what happens here because when he says in verse 18, the glory which shall be revealed in us, this re revealing... It's the exact same word as we see in the book of Revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's apocalypto. Apocalypto. And, and, apocalypto. and then in verse 19, we see it again, apocalypsis. See, the exact same wording we see for the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's to, uh, to, to take the cover off. And what I love about this, remember, it's you and me. One day, we're going to take off these earth suits. It's for every believer in Jesus Christ. We're going to remove these earth suits. Well, and it's not like we're going to do it. The Lord is going to do the, do the work. 
because we're in a corrupt state right now. As much as we strive to live peaceably with men, as much as we strive to live according to the Spirit, we're still in a corrupt nature, and that's these earth suits. But you know what? Corruption will put on incorruption. The mortal will put on immortality. It's a gift of the Lord. I like to think sometimes it's like we can, you know, reach inside our chest and just rip off our flesh. You know, we can't do that. But what about the glory that's building already inside of you? And if you reach inside your chest and just rip off your flesh and everybody around you, they have to look away. They have to put on big, thick sunglasses, the dark ones. Why? Because the glory is so bright. The glory is so bright. And it's not your glory. It's not my glory. It's the glory of the Lord. What is the work that he's doing inside of you? What is the work that he's done thus far inside of you? Well, there's more to come. There's more to come in our journeys with the Lord. In our walk with him. And so look what happens here. In verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So even creation has this, how it translates, is the intense anticipation. Creation itself eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. And it's so beautiful because remember, as creation, humankind, mankind, womankind, we're the minority. When it comes to the entirety of creation, we're the minority. Remember, turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. And in Luke 19, verse 39 says, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And this is what he says in verse four, in verse 40. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Whoa. You know, one time I was watching this nature show. It wasn't a nature show, but it's a science show. Sometimes people ask me, hey, did you see this latest TV show? The latest TV show? I have no idea what they're talking about. Oh, it has this guy in it, famous actor. It has this lady in it, famous actress. I still have no idea what you're talking about. Because I'm kind of a nerd, you know. I watch kind of like nerdy shows, like science and nature shows. And, uh, you know, I watched this one science show where a scientist, you know, he takes this stone. That What they were doing, it was like a phototonic technology. And they converted light to sound. And it was so interesting because they, they explained the concept and then they actually demonstrated it. And so the scientist, he has this device and he takes this stone he picks it up off the ground he takes this stone and because of the light that was emitting from it you know not the light from it but i meant just the reflection of the sun you know how you know everything you see is reflect reflection so you know so the, the light was reflecting off this this stone and so what they were doing they converted that light into sound and so he turned on this other machine and you could actually hear it and then he put this like he covered the stone so like he had this like this this thing he, where they couldn't they, the, to block the, the the light in a in like in a dark environment and then the sound stopped the sound stopped and so they lifted the thing again and then you could see the stone and then boom the sound started again 
So they, they, this is, this isn't new technology. I mean, it's new for like, it's relatively new for, you know, the common guy, uh, the common people. But, you know, this is kind of like, you know, NASA uses this, you know, a lot, you know, how space technology, it's getting, it's moving into the private industry now. This is how they're, how they communicate with far distant spaces. You know, there's this huge drive to get to Mars. Me personally, I don't think, I don't think we're going to, I, I see it as like a modern day, uh, modern day, um, uh, babble, you know, I don't think we're going to make it. Uh, so, um, but there's still this drive of, of, you know, that mankind going into Mars, but this, this technology for distance communication, it's all phototonic technology, how they transfer data to, 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 to light. And then, you know, data transfers at the speed of light they're, you know, they're looking to do the technology in like computers, so you won't have to have all this, you know, so the, the, you won't have to use all this electricity to, you know, power to have this data transfer at the speed of light. So that's what they're doing. That's how it gets into the more commonplace because we see, you know, earthly application. So I say that you're like, well, where is he going with this? Well, it, it, the, even the stones will cry out. I mean, is somebody reading this a hundred years ago like, what? The stones will cry out? I don't get it. But today, because of these, you know, uh, uh, technological revelation, we can kind of understand what, wow, even the, sto the stones do cry out. There is a sound applied to the stones. You see, but it's, it's old technology. It's old technology. I mean, like, uh, space engineers, you know, all these people, they're like, wow, you know, look at this new technology. And you can go to those guys and say, look, this is old tech. Look, 2,000 years ago, our Lord was teaching about it. This is old technology, nothing new about it. It's not even 2,000 years old. It's even more old. You know, the Lord touches on it 2,000 years ago here in verse 40. Even the stones would cry out. And then you start to wonder, like, what do you mean? Like, and, and you hearken back to, let's go back to Romans 8 now. You look at Romans 8 and something starts to emerge where it's like, wait a second, what's happening with creation? In verse 19, when he says the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because, in verse 21, the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Whoa, you see? So sometimes, you know, you have some hardcore liberal people. Hardcore liberal people, you know, save the earth, save the earth. And I get it. I understand this desire to, you know, save the earth. But there are passages in scripture with which, like, align with that very notion. And you can talk with your liberal friends, you know, save the earth, save, earth, save the earth. And you look at verse 21, creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption. You can say, hey, you know, the Lord desires that too. Like, Really? And you say, yes, but there's more. What about you? He desires your deliverance as well. Now, if you're a hardcore liberal and you're listening, you know God loves you. Say you're, if you're a non-believer and you're not, you're, you're listening and you're a non-believer, God loves you. He desires your salvation. But you know what? He didn't make you a robot. He's not going to barge in and say, you will be a Christian. No way. You have to allow him. You have to choose him. 
And if that's you and you're wrestling with your eternal destination, you're wrestling with eternity itself, I want you to hit the pause button and you're going to have to scroll and listen for another message, but it's called how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then listen to that. Say the sinner's prayer and pray it and mean it in your heart and be born again because God loves you. The good news of Jesus Christ, we're studying it. Salvation in Jesus Christ. How beautiful it is. God so loved the world. Not to, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus Christ will be saved. He's like the ark of our time. That's how I like to think of Jesus Christ. He's like the ark of our time. Capital A. That's why I say get in the boat. You hear me say every now and then we're in the same boat. You know, get in the boat, get in the boat, capital B. Because we're on our way to paradise. It's very interesting because we see what's written here in, in verse 20, that for the creation was subjected for was subjected to futility. And this translates as placed under moral depravity. Placed under moral depravity, not willingly. Now, I say that on purpose. And this is for if any of my uh, uh, friends listening who lean towards Calvinism, who lean towards Reformed theory. There's a teaching under Reformed theory and Calvinistic teaching that is about moral depravity. And there are elements, we see it already in Scripture about moral depravity, but you don't have to look to Scripture to see moral depravity. You can just open your eyes and look at the world around us. You go to the workplace, you see moral depravity. You go on vacation, you see moral depravity. You go to the gas station, you see moral depravity. You see it everywhere. You're driving on the highway, you see moral depravity. You're watching TV, a commercial comes on, you see moral depravity. But remember what's happening here, that creation was subjected to futility or placed under moral depravity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, in hope. You know what the hope is? Jesus Christ. Now, if you're Calvinistic, you're like, okay, yeah, that's true. It, it, it is the hope. But you know what? It's like, how do we get to the door? How does a person get to the door? Capital D, Jesus Christ. Remember, he's the one who says, I'm the door. Some translations say, I'm the door. Some say, I'm the gate. But the concept is exactly the same. I am the door. That's what he says. I'm just a messenger. How does a person get to the door? You know, does I like to think like a big warehouse. If you consider a huge, huge, huge warehouse and a bunch of people, multitudes of people are inside this warehouse and there's still order in the warehouse, but you're kind of trapped in a warehouse nonetheless. And the people that are in the warehouse are, are all married to the law. If you remember our study in Romans 7, everybody born into Adam and married to the law and the only way out of this warehouse you have to go to the door you have to look to the door and once you enter through the door or exit the warehouse through the door something else happens marriage to jesus christ death to the your marriage of the law 
very important to understand that this hope that we have, the ultimate hope is Jesus Christ. But there's more to that. The glorious revealing of Jesus Christ, the blessed hope. These are things that we can look forward to and that we ought to look forward to. People say, oh yeah, you always talk about the last days. You always talk about the rapture. You always talk about the tribulation. You always talk about this. Well, praise be to the Lord. That's, you know, there's hope in what's coming. There's hope in our, you know, our, uh, our, our, our putting off the corruption. I look forward to that day when we can put off corruption and put on incorruption. You know how much I hate this corrupt body? I can't stand this corrupt body. I look forward to my last breath. I look forward to it. I can't wait. I have, it's more desirable desirable for me to be dead than alive. You know why? Because of our hope in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to jump off a bridge or anything, you know, and I'm not advocating that. Don't jump off a bridge. Remember the jailer, the Philippian jailer? I'm going to kill myself. And Paul says, no, 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 no. See that you don't do that. You know, the Lord has things for you. So this uh, moral depravity, which creation was subjected to, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, it's like, wait a second, you know, the door is still necessary if you consider the warehouse idea. The door is still necessary. Go to the door, go to Jesus Christ, the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see? And so look what happens, you know, and if you're Calvinist, if you're a Reformed theory, I love you. I don't say these things to hurt you. Sometimes it's like, you know, I say this a lot. If you're a Calvinist, if, you know, I'm not picking on you. I don't hate you. But we have to allow the word of God to teach us both. I mean, all of us. We have to allow the word of God to teach us. And not the word of man. But the word of God, the word of the son of man. The word of the Son of the Most High. And the word became flesh. And we're going to talk about some hard-hitting subjects. You know, in, in this chapter, as we finish this chapter, and then in chapter 9, we're going to talk about some hardcore things when it comes to uh, predestination. And so, if, if you, I don't say, you know, I'm not like, you know, if you're into Reformed theory, I don't hate you. I do not hate you. I love you. And in so doing, in loving you, I have to give you the truth. I have to give you the word of God. And so look what happens here in verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, I have to say, you might be wondering, like, what does this mean? Me personally, I do have ideas and theories about how this will pan out and what this means. And they do align with biblical teaching. However, I will say this. I will not teach them. I will not teach them. Because it can be dangerous. It's like, you know, if you're at a cliff, you know, if you go sightseeing here at the ocean, you know, you might stand on the edge of a cliff. But you have to be at a certain distance or else it can be dangerous. You don't know how loose the ground is. 
So you could stand on the edge of a cliff and, you know, maybe like, you know, 10 feet between you and the actual, you know, the precipice of the actual cliff. And, you know, you still have, still have nice scenery and everything's beautiful. You can still smell the sea air and feel the breeze and everything's fine. And you take your pictures, do whatever, and okay, everything's good to go. But if you just take a couple steps forward, you're getting further and further closer to that precipice where it's like okay this is getting dangerous now and then finally you're at like the very like an inch away from the actual cliff that's when it gets really dangerous you don't know if that earth is going to hold up and that's how i feel about sometimes these uh subject matters such as this what we're hitting on right here i have ideas and theories about how this will pan out And it, it aligns with scripture, but I won't teach them. I refuse to teach them because they're just ideas. They're my thoughts and ideas. I want to teach the word of God, not my word. I want to teach the word of God. And it's so important because, you know, what happens, you know, me personally, I think we're going to be very surprised when we put on our glorified bodies or when the Lord gives us our glorified bodies. I think we're going to be very surprised at what we see. Very, very surpri pleasantly surprised. But I think we're going to be very surprised at what we see. As is written here in verse 21, that, that creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole, whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now, or together even unto now is how it translates. You see, this word for uh, together is tra to travail in pain together or in concert. In concert. Have you ever gone to a symphony before? You sit in the audience, you hear a couple, you know, cough over here, cough over there. You kind of hear the audience. And I love that because it's part of that experience of in a symphony. You know, the lights dim. You still hear a couple, you know, coughs or you hear the people moving in their seats. You know, and, you know, everybody's in, in, uh, in the symphony. Everybody's there with their instruments. And then the conductor walks out. You know, can everybody cheers. People clap and cheer. And I love it so much, especially when you know the storyline behind what's going to be performed. Especially when you know the musician who put it together. And then all of a sudden, you know, the conductor lifts up his hands. And, you know, you hear the flutes open up. And you hear the drums. And then the, you know, the, the brass and then, you know, the winds and then, you know, all these things, all these instruments, the clarinets, the oboe, the bassoon, all, the trumpets, all these things coming into unison. Different instruments, different people, all in symphony. And that's what's happening here. These birth pangs together groans and labors with birth pangs together even till now so it's like to travail in pain together or in concert you know this world isn't our home you hear me say that from time to time and i i can't make you think that this world isn't our home but i don't think i'll ever get tired of telling you that that this world is not our home the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains. I've never experienced birth pains before. I've heard it being talked about, but, you know, it's painful. I can't say I think it's painful. I mean, I could say I think it's painful, but, you know, 
It's painful. Birth pains. That's what the Bible says. The groaning and laboring of birth pains. And birth pains is the signs of the last days. Jesus Christ even writes about birth pains. These are the beginning of birth pains. You know, a baby still has to be born when a, a mother experiences birth pains. Well, that means a baby's being born. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're holding your baby and then boom, it's like, you know, where's the pain? Because you're holding your precious child. It's done. That's what we look forward to. In Christ, our glorified bodies. And so look what happens here in verse 22 or in verse 23. He says, not only that, but we also, this is Christians, you know, Paul, this is a letter to the church. We also who have the first fruits of the spirit. Very interesting how the Holy Spirit has first fruits, which means there's even more fruit to come in the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it, it's wild. To, I mean, it, the, the Bible teaches about, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. But then you have a reference here like, well, this, this is just the first fruits. Well, I thought, you know, we could look forward to this, that, this, that, this, that, which we can. The fruit of the Spirit. But then at the same time, you know, these are the first fruits. The first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves even even we ourselves groan within ourselves this concert of pain with the whole of creation. We groan within ourselves eagerly, eagerly, he says, <clears throat> waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. You see, be very careful with your roots. Are your roots, you know, going into the depths of this earth or are your roots stretching into the heavenly realm? The latter is the better. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Translates as this redemption of our body. Translates as salvation, deliverance. But you know what my favorite is? It also translates as riddance. <laughs> and I love that. I love that. Because good riddance of this carnal nature. Good riddance of this corrupt earth suit. And I can only speak for myself, but I pray that we can look, you too, we as a body in concert with one another, can have the same mentality of good riddance to put off this corrupt, to put on this mortal, and to put on immortality and incorruption. Good riddance. And that's what Paul is writing about here. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, which translates as the riddance of our body, this carnal earth suit. In verse 24, but we were saved in this hope. You see, that's what's so beautiful about this hope, this hope. Remember my warehouse example? And you look for the door and then you go, you don't just look for the door and stand there. You look for the door, you see it, go to the door. Capital D, and the door is Jesus Christ. We were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. I love that so much. So say we're at the beach, okay? We're at the beach, and we're sitting there in the sand. It's a hot day. We're sitting there in the sand. The ocean's right there. And then, you know, I say to you, I hope I can get my feet wet in the ocean. You know how stupid I would look? Like, what's... what? what 
go to the ocean. You're right there. It's like three steps away. And I said, oh, I, I hope I can, I can hope I can get my feet wet. You know how dumb I would look? Because the ocean's right there. We can see it. All I got to do is take a couple steps and boom, my feet are wet. The exact thing, same thing that I'm hoping for, I can achieve. I, I, it's right there. And Paul is writing, hope that is seen is not hope. It's not hope. If, if you can see it, it's not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? That's a hardcore question. And I hope the question opens up the eyes of faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance. Very interesting the wording behind that in uh, Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Do you mean to tell me that uh, hope? There can be a substance behind hope? There's, there can be something uh, tangible behind hope? Absolutely. You know what it is? Faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. And I pray that verse 24 opens up our eyes of faith together. Because faith can grow. Faith can grow. You see? In verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Cheerful endurance is how that translates. You see, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Now, turn with me really quick to the book of John. In John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Doubting Thomas in um, verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of his nails and put my finger into the print of his nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe, he said. And he gave conditions. I'm not going to believe unless... And then boom, he lays out his criteria. In verse 26, And after eight days, very interesting because in accordance to the law, you know what happens after eight days? Circumcision. Eight days of a newborn, boom, circumcision. In accordance with the law. And look what happens here. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Shalom is what he says. Then he said to Thomas, very interesting, to Thomas. He says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. The very criteria that Thomas said eight days prior is the very thing that the Lord told him to do. And Thomas, in verse 28, answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, boom, circumcision of the heart. Eight days. He believes. Not circumcision of the flesh, circumcision of the heart. He believes. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you, that's me. 
Look at verse 29. If you have a highlighter, highlight this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know what the Lord is saying? Blessed are you. Blessed are we. You see? Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. This book, capital B, that we have before us, this is so holy. So incredibly holy is instruction in righteousness that we can be trained in this instruction of righteousness. And not just trained, you know, to have the knowledge to be puffed up, but trained so we can be humble and fishermen and wise and warriors. And so that's what Paul is writing about here. You know, hope that is unseen. In Romans 8, verse 25, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance, cheerful endurance. You say, what do you mean cheerful endurance? Well, don't forget, the very first verse that we started today, that the sufferings of this present time, these things are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Never forget that verse, verse 18. Never forget that verse. You know why? Because in life, you're going to have hardships. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have tribulation because it's life. It will come. As surely as the Lord lives, sufferings will come. Tribulation will come. But as surely as the Lord lives, our Lord will come as well. Blessed hope. Blessed hope. And remember what Jesus Christ said. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are you. Our Lord says that of you. And so look what happens here in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps, translates as assists. The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. You know, this to, to include sickness, weakness or sickness. But the Spirit is a helper, capital H. You know, there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes people get into this doctrine, this idea where the Holy Spirit makes, like, you know, like does things and, like, makes us do certain things. No, the Holy Spirit is a helper. He assists. Which means what? We have choices to make. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. We have choices to make in life. Oh, the Holy Spirit made me walk according to the flesh. No, that's that's not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit made me walk according to the Spirit. No. There's conviction on both sides. There's conviction one way. There's conviction on the other. But, you know, ultimately we have choices to make. Am I carnally minded or am I spiritually minded? Choices. Yielding to the Word of God, yielding to the Holy Spirit, and we have choices to make. The Lord doesn't make us as robots. He never makes anybody as robots. You look at the life of Paul, you could say, wow, Paul is, he's like, he's not even doing his own business. He's about the Lord's business. Praise be the Lord. You know why? He's yielding to Him. He's yielding to God. You see, Paul's not a robot. He's yielding to God. He has yielded to the Lord. 
And the Lord has done mighty things in him. Mighty things in Chloe. Mighty things in uh, uh, Peter. Mighty things in Zephaniah and Joel. All these people, Isaiah, Jeremiah. The Lord has done mighty things to people who have yielded to him. What does that say to you? What does that say to me? Hey, let's as a body, as a koinonia, as the ecclesia, let us all yield to him. Yield to the Lord. And this is what Paul says in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see, translate says sighs that are un, un, unutterable or unspeakable or too intense or too intense. You know, it, it's. Have you ever prayed? Have you ever been so heartbroken or whatever? Emotionally speaking, you're just, it's just like a sigh. The Bible says here that there's such a thing as the intercession of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, with sighs that are unutterable. Maybe it's a choice that you've made in life. Maybe you've taken a left turn and you've walked according to the flesh and you realize the error of your way and then you give a sigh of desperation. Well, praise be to the Lord because sometimes those sighs, in those sighs, it's the Holy Spirit himself who makes intercession for us. Number one, the Holy Spirit has to be inside of you. The Holy Spirit has to be with you. Remember in our study in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit befell the church early believers, except for one. His name was Simon. His heart was wicked. You know, don't be like that. Don't be like Simon. Believe in Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. It requires humility. And praise be to the Lord because you see how... You know, you hear me talk about intimacy with the Lord, but wow, how intimate it really can be. When the Lord himself, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us, for you, and whatever subject matter, say we, say it's not you that has taken the left turn. What about somebody you love who is walking according to the flesh? Somebody you love deeply is walking according to the flesh. And you have no words whatsoever. It's indescribable. It's so painful. It's causing you to suffer. Well, how is the Holy Spirit interceding for you? You see how this beautiful intimacy we have with the Lord is? Intercession of the Holy Spirit. In verse 27, now he who searches the hearts or investigates the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. This intimacy that we have with the Lord, it has its advantages. And I'm I'm not speaking of, you know, like, you know, sometimes people talk about advantages like, you know, like it's a sales pitch, you know, like, oh, you know, be a become a Christian because you can, you know, you know, the prosperity gospel. Oh, the Lord will bless you. The Lord will bless you. Look at Paul. He was blessed of the Lord, but his idea of blessing was totally different from a carnal idea of blessing. I mean, can you imagine Paul, you know, thrown outside a city like a like a sack of potatoes, a limp body, he left for dead. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, the people, the townspeople leave because, okay, he's dead. They're just going to leave his body rot there. And then we as Christians rush to him. Oh, Paul, Paul. And find out he's not, he's not dead. The first thing he says is, wow, praise be to the Lord. I mean, he just got beat down. He just got beat up. Left for dead. Who knows? I mean, he's probably in pain. Hurting. Jaw hurt. You know, arms hurt. Fingers is, you know, the, the little extremities in pain. And he says, wow, praise the Lord. It's like, what? what do you mean praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Look at you. There's this idea, the, the carnal idea of what blessings look like, but then there's a spiritual idea of what, not idea, the spiritual uh, fact, the spiritual truth of what blessing looks like. Look at Stephen, stoned. Was he blessed of the Lord? Carnally speaking, you say, no, carnally speaking, he's not blessed, he got killed. Spiritually speaking, wow, of the most blessed. Suffered. For the name of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people have this idea of this prosperity gospel where I'm gonna become a Christian and I'm gonna, you know, I can scratch lottery tickets and I'm gonna be a winner every time. Oh, I have faith, you know, name it and claim it. Oh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I declare that I'm gonna be a millionaire with these lottery tickets. I declare, you know, it's no, it's, it, name it and claim it, it's not biblical. No, it's not biblical. You know, we make our prayers and petitions known before the Lord. But everything is in accordance with the Lord. And so look what happens here. In verse 27, Now he who searches or investigates the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's a biggie. According to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit who intercedes, if you're sighing, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit is in alignment with the, with the Lord, the will of the Lord. The Holy Spirit isn't in alignment with my spirit or your spirit. We're the ones. You know, He doesn't yield to us. We yield to Him. Remember, He never changes. The Lord never changes. He never changes. Throughout all the generations, He's the constant. He never changes. He doesn't yield to you. He doesn't yield to me. He yields to no one. We yield to him. I guess you could say in a sense he yielded to man in giving us his son. The door. You see? It's not, you know, when he says in at the end of verse 27, he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You know, it's not like I'm going to, you know, name it and claim it. Oh, I declare by the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to have a Ferrari. I'm going to scratch a lottery ticket. I, I pick up a lottery ticket from the store. I declare in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that this lottery ticket is going to give me $5 million. And I declare with this $5 million, I'm going to go buy a Lamborghini. I declare in the name of Jesus. No way. People do that. That's what people do. And the Bible says here, according to the will of God. Is it the Lord's will for you to have a Lamborghini? Is it the Lord's will for you to have $5 million? Is it the Lord's will for you to get $5 million through a lottery ticket, through gambling? 
gambling. How is he going to bless something that is against his word? You see? And people do that. Christians, we do that. I say we as a body of Christ. That's what we do. People who will fast, they'll fast and fast and fast. They'll be like, wow, you know. Who are you praying for? Oh, no, but I'm praying for my lottery ticket. I'm going to go gambling tonight. I'm going to go to the casino tonight. What? Hey, let's go get some lunch together. No, 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 no. I'm fasting. Oh, okay. You know, can I join you in prayer? Who are we praying for? Is there somebody in your family who isn't a Christian? Somebody going through some hard times? Oh, no, 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 no. Friday night, you know, I'm going to the casino and I'm fasting that I make it big, that I win. What? You're asking the Lord to bless your gambling habit? You're asking the Lord to bless your addiction? And then what else? Are you going to get some alcohol? Are you going to drink some alcohol? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I like to, you know, get a little, Oh, but it's, it's very low alcohol content. I like to get a little drink. You know, get a little buzz going while I'm, while I'm gambling. What? You're fasting for that? It's not that the Lord, you know, doesn't want good things for us. What father doesn't want good things for us? But they're not carnal. They're not of this world. You know, we have to be heavenly minded. You see, and when we understand this from a doctrinal standpoint, it helps us align with him. Align with him. So what do we see? We see in verse 27 that the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So this, the Holy Spirit of the Lord, you know, as like he, he is in accordance with the will of God, but then the Holy Spirit inside of you, inside of me, when we yield to him, you see it all, it's like concert, in concert. Everything is working beautifully. That's what we see in the life of Paul. That's what we see in Peter. That's what we see in Chloe. That's what we see in Eunice. That's what we see in Lydia. All these beautiful people of the new covenant. You see it in the old covenant as well, which is a shadow of things to come. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos. It's you and me that has to yield to him. And so look what happens here in verse uh, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see how beautiful verse 28 is? And everybody, it's a very popular verse. A lot of people, they lean on verse 28. And we certainly can lean on verse 28. We who And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called. Translates as the invited, the appointed, and people who are uh, 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 saints. Which begs the question, are, am I called? Am I called? Are you called? We're going to understand this as we unpackage it a little bit. Remember in Isaiah, and you hear me references every now and then, but in Isaiah 66, verse 4, the Lord says this, I call, When I called, no one answered. 
When I spoke, they did not hear. Picture a phone ringing, and it keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. You know, I'm kind of old school. I'm a little bit old. You know, nowadays kids are spoiled. You know, they have their cell phones with them all the time. And they have their cell phones with them, and, you know, they have uh, uh, voicemail. But back in the day, you know, I lived in a day and age where we used to have the little phone where you had to spin the little thing. You put your finger in the hole, and you had to spin it. This was pre-answering machine. Nobody had answering machine. That was like new technology. Nobody had answering machines. So if you want to call somebody, you just let it ring and ring and ring and ring and ring. Sometimes you just, you know, you're, you're on the phone because you know somebody's like, you know, sleeping or, you know, somebody's like, you know, in the bathroom or somebody's out in the back. And so they're in their garden or whatever. So you just let it ring and ring and ring and ring and ring. But picture that the phone is ringing. Ringing and ringing and ringing. And just as Isaiah 66 says, I called, no one answered. And the Lord is speaking about Israel. The Lord is speaking about Israel. I called and no one answered. Number one, where are the priests? Why is this here when the priests are supposed to have, you know, uh, intimacy with the Lord? They have a job to do according to the law. What we're studying in, you know, uh, Numbers. What we study in Leviticus, the Levitical priesthood, they have a job to do. Why is it that the Lord is calling and no one is answering? Now you put aside the Levitical priesthood, what about among the people? Why is it that the Lord is calling and nobody is answering? In the multitude of people, we just went through the numbers, the census. Look at the numbers of Israel. Why in the world is nobody answering? You know, when I was a kid, you know, my dad, you know, like when we were all like, like when I was young, I couldn't answer the phone because I'd pick up the phone and, you know, Google Gaga, you know, but I got older. My dad was like, hey, pick up the phone because he was my dad. You know, he wanted to sit on the couch, you know, and I didn't fight with him, you know, hey, go answer the phone. Okay, yes, pops, I'm going to go answer the phone. So I get up, answer the phone. But in the camp of Israel, why wasn't there anybody to answer the phone? Or why wasn't there anybody to say, hey, answer the phone? Nobody. The phone just kept ringing and 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 ringing. And the Lord says, I called. No one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes that that chose that and chose chose that in which I do not delight. You see? That's what evil does. That's what wickedness does. It makes us deaf to the call of God. Sometimes people say, oh, what's the Lord's will in my life? What is the Lord's? What does the Lord want me to do? What is the calling that I have for the Lord? Well, you know what I say? You got to die more. More death needs to happen inside of you. More death. Because, you know, this crack... This pornography, this sex, you know, you're blind. It's, it, it's deafening you. You need to repent. Repent and stop walking according to the flesh and start walking according to the Spirit. Come on, take my hand. Let's go. We're on our way to Zion. We're on our way to, to paradise. We're in this boat together. So you look at Isaiah 66, verse 4. I called, no one answered. I spoke, they did not hear. But you know who heard? Isaiah. Beautiful, beautiful Isaiah. And the Lord spoke to him. 
the Lord gave him instructions. And so he did obedience. Isaiah. Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Hosea. Amos. Obadiah. All these beautiful people. Now we flip to the new covenant. And what do we see? Paul. Peter. Chloe. Eunice. John. All these beautiful people. And look what happens here. Let's go back to Romans. Romans 8. Uh, when he says in verse 28, to those who are the called according to his purpose, this word for purpose, you know, it's it, it, this word for uh, uh, purpose is a showbread. It translates as the showbread. Remember the showbread in our study in Leviticus? What do we see in the showbread? That the showbread has leaven. Leaven. Which, you know, you kind of think about it, like, what in the world? Why is there leaven in the holy place? I mean, when you look at where the, you know, you, you have the tabernacle, you go inside the tabernacle, and then you have the altar, and then you go inside the holy place, and what do you see? You see the, the, the lamb stand, you see uh, the table, the showbread, and then you have another inner chamber, which is the holy of holies. Why is the showbread in the holy place? I mean, the showbread is there, but why is there leaven there? Why is there leaven with that showbread? It's an Old Testament example of the body of Christ as a corrupt state. Not corrupt like corrupt in accordance to the flesh, but corrupt in terms of our state in these earth suits. You see? Moving on to perfection. Jesus Christ is the way, the door, the truth. We walk in truth and he's the life. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Remember, the high priest is the only one that can go in the Holy of Holies. Legally speaking. And I'm not of the law. I don't advocate the law. But in accordance to the law, the fulfillment of the law, he's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. They say, wait, I, I'm, I'm, show, I'm showbread with leaven. We're showbread with leaven. We can't go into the Holy of Holies. No, the high priest comes to us. And he's the son of the most high God. You see? So beautiful how the Lord teaches us these things. And not just teaches us for the sake of having knowledge, but so that we can use them. Put these tools that the Lord gives us at the employ of the Spirit of the Lord. Just like Paul. Just like Chloe. I'm so in love with Chloe because you know why? Here she is in her home at this little fellowship. All these terrible things are happening in the church. And where in the, where in the world are the pastors? Where are the elders? Where are the overseers? Where are the shepherds? Chloe was more of a pastor than the pastors. Chloe was more of an elder than the elders. Where were these men? I don't know where they were. I don't know where they were. But praise the Lord for Chloe. Because she says, hey, Paul, we got a problem over here. You see her? She's so beautiful because she's hardcore. But then at the same time, she, you know, she goes to like the male covering. Paul, hey, Paul, we got a problem over here. You know, she doesn't take it upon herself to become like a, a, a you know, a female pastor. As you see a lot of females do today. Oh, I'm going to be a female pastor. 
No, that doesn't align with scripture. You cannot teach men. There always has to be a male covering. Just like Priscilla, who taught uh, uh, Apollos. You say, well, this female taught, but she had a male covering, her husband. You see? How beautiful it is to see how the Word of God teaches us these things. Let's continue in our study in, in, in Romans 8. Now he says this in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. This is a hardcore verse. Let's unpackage it. Now, to my Calvinist friends, to my Reformed theory friends, I love you. Okay, I want you to know if you're Reformed, I love you. If you're Calvinist, I love you. If you're into um, uh, mainline Presbyterianism, I love you. But your religion is dangerous. Your religion is dangerous. Because there are teachings about predestination. How God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell. That is unbiblical. Remember, he's long-suffering. If God predestined people to hell, why is he long-suffering? Why is God long-suffering? And he predestines people to hell for his glory? How can he be glorified when he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked? Which makes me say, whoa, such doctrine that teaches predestination to hell, such doctrine is wrong. Such doctrine is unbiblical. And if you align with those teachings, I love you. I don't hate you. But let us both, let us all align with the word of God. Sometimes I say both because I'm, I get kind of personal in, in our sermons. So I think, okay, it's just you and me. So sometimes I say both, but it's for all, the entirety of the bride of Christ. Let us yield to the word of God together. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, he says in verse 29. And whom he foreknew here, remember in Jeremiah verse chapter 1, verse 5, and the Lord says, before I formed you in the, in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now I have a question to ask. Who is it that God doesn't know? Who is it that God does did, did, does not foreknow or did not foreknow? Who is it? I'll give you the answer. Nobody. Remember, he is sovereign. In God's sovereignty, considering God's sovereignty, who is it that he doesn't foreknow? It's nobody. He, foreknow, he, he formed us in our mother's wombs. He put us together. And Paul says here, whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Pro orizo in the Greek. Pro orizo. It's a predetermined destination. A predetermined destination. Now, if you remember in our study in chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 18, how it says, uh, the free gift at the end of verse 18, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And when we study that, you hear me give this, this, uh, 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 a present, like, you know, if you give me a present, you give me a gift. And then what if I reject the gift? I just say, I, I just hold up my hands. I don't want it. Take it away. Or what if I take the gift out of your hands and I, you know, put it in the closet? 
Or what if I take the gift and open it right there, right in front of you, and I rejoice because, wow, I've always wanted one of these, and I open it, wow, I love you so much. And that's Jesus Christ. The free gift came to all men, to all men, resulting in the justification of life. Now, it begs the question, okay, so if the free gift is to all men, how come all men are not Christians? Well, did they open the gift? Did they reject the gift? Or did they receive the gift? The gift is for everyone. But who receives? Now, this predestination, I like to explain it like this, this Predetermined destination. Pro orizo is how it translates in the Greek. A predetermined destination. And there would be times where I would fly into uh, Southern California. <clears throat> so I fly into Southern California. You know, land. The plane would land. You know, walk out. And, you know, get into the... Uh, uh, the car rental, go to the car rental place, you know, say, hey, here I am. They give me my keys. I'm boom. I'm sitting in the car, getting the mirrors adjusted, you know, sitting in the car, getting everything nicely adjusted. And the very first thing I do, In-N-Out Burger. Where is the nearest In-N-Out Burger? I put it on my phone. GPS, I put it on my phone. You know, everybody has smartphones nowadays, so this isn't foreign to anybody. We put on our phone, okay, In-N-Out Burger. Where is the nearest one? It pops up. Oh, it's 10 minutes away. Okay, I got to kind of get like a highlight of the, the route I got to take. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of familiar with Southern California, but in some parts, you know, not overly familiar or the side streets, certain areas, certain districts. And so I hit, okay, that's my predetermined destination. I'm sitting in the car at the airport at the lot of the, uh, of the uh, rental, you know, the car rental place. I'm inside the cabin of the car. I have my phone and I know that, you know, based on traffic, it's about 10 minutes away. And I've predetermined my destination. I'm going to In-N-Out Burger. If I follow these instructions in 10 minutes, I'm going to be pulling in the parking lot. And then I begin my way. I start driving. I hear a voice pop up. Turn left. Okay. So what do I do? I turn left. I hear another voice pop up turn right so i turn right i follow the instructions i heed the instructions if i want to get to my predetermined destination you see what i'm saying here how the lord wants good things for you good things for me good things for his people good things for all of creation he doesn't predestine people to hell he predestines people to heaven. But the question is, who's listening? Who's heeding? So let's go back to my car example. I'm in my car. My predetermined destination is in and out. The voice says turn left, I turn right. The voice says turn right, I turn left. And then the voice even has a little alert. Okay, you took a wrong turn, do a U-turn. In 400 feet, you know, pull over, do a little U-turn. And I keep going straight. I keep going straight. I'm, I'm totally not listening to the voice of GPS. I'm ignoring the voice of GPS. But even still, I've predetermined my destination as In-N-Out Burger, except here I am holding on to the steering wheel, and I'm completely and totally ignoring the voice of GPS. 
And, you know, in the parking lot when I was in the rental car, or I'm still in the rental car, but, you know, when I'm at the parking, at, at the rental place, my predetermined destination was still In-N-Out Burger, which was 10 minutes away. And say the whole time I've done a, the exact opposite of what GPS was saying. And then I pull over after 10 minutes. I pull over. And I said, wait a second. Is that 10 minutes? In, you know, the In-N-Out Burger was 10 minutes away. Here we are. We're 15 minutes in. I gave it a little. I gave it some grace. We're 15 minutes in. And I'm, I'm in La La Land. I have no idea where I am. You see, it's because, yes, there was a predetermined destination, but I failed to heed the voice. I rejected the voice. The voice cried out and I ignored the voice. Now, do I blame God for that? Do I blame God that after 15 minutes, I'm in the middle of nowhere? And do I say, oh, God predestined me here? You see, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit at all. This, you know, what, 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 forgive me for saying it like this, but what Calvinists teach as predestination, what Reformed theory teaches as predestination, what mainline Presbyterianism teaches as, as, as predestination, it is unbiblical. It does not align with Holy Scripture. Therefore, the teaching that does not align with Holy Scripture has to be thrown in the trash. The doctrine. I'm not talking about if you're a Calvinist listening, like I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying you, I'm saying the teaching, the doctrine. The doctrine. Remember First Timothy? <clears throat> in First Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 9, how the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless, insubordinate, uh, for the unholy, profane, murders, murders of fathers and murders of mothers, and ma for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, translates as uh, opposed to uh, uncorrupted instruction. Well, this idea of uh, predestined predestination in accordance with Reformed theology, in accordance with Presbyterianism, in accordance with Calvinism, it is contrary to sound doctrine. Why in the world would I blame God? When I haven't even heeded his voice. The same way, after 10 minutes, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm not at the parking lot of In-N-Out Burger. After 10 minutes, just like just like it told me, just like the GPS told me, in 10 minutes, I'll be arriving at In-N-Out. And in 10 minutes, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Is God a liar? Do I blame God? The whole time the voice was telling me, turn left, turn left, do you turn, you turn, you turn, turn right, turn. The whole time GPS was recalculating a, a, a different path. And in the different path, instead of being 10 minutes, it became 15 minutes, it became 20 minutes, it became 30 minutes, it became 40 minutes, it becomes two hours because the whole time I've been ignoring the voice of GPS. So my 
10-minute journey, because I ignored the voice of the Lord, became a two-hour journey. Does that ring a bell? Hello, numbers, you see? An 11-day journey became a 40-year journey. Who is it among us that is heeding the voice of the Lord? Not to cheapen the word of the Lord or his voice or the Holy Spirit, but who is it that is heeding the voice of GPS? You know, uh, God's positioning, you know. Who is it that is heeding his voice and yielding to him? Who? Who among us? Am I going to lean on a doctrine that says God predestines people to to hell when he's long-suffering for them? God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Let me rephrase that. God is long-suffering, not willing that anybody should perish because he loves all of creation. Man, woman, young, old, male, female, Jew, Gentile. You see, why would I concoct this theory to say that God predestines people to hell? And not only that, why would people believe it when the Bible teaches otherwise? You see, God has a predetermined destination for you. You know what it is? It's paradise with him. And since God has a predetermined destination for you, which is paradise with him, he makes the way. We are born into Adam. And when we're born into Adam, it means that we're born into sin. And then we're married to the law. Remember Romans 7, our study? We're married to the law. In order to get out of that marriage contract, you and me, we're the ones who have to die. And then that marriage contract is over between you and the law, between me and the law. That marriage contract is over. But now, you know, you have your water baptism. You go down in the water. You're buried. That's your gravesite. You come up out of the water and boom, you're available. I hate to, I don't want to sound to, by cheapening what's happening here by saying it that way. But from a biblical standpoint, I have no other way to say it. You're available. Like the natural world testifies of these things. Look at marriage. You know, when we, if you remember our study in Romans 7, you know, I gave the example of marriage. I mean, like, you know, physical marriage in this earth. You have a husband and wife. The wife dies. The husband's no longer, the marriage contract is over because it takes two. Husband and wife, male, female. The wife dies, boom. The husband, you know, not to sound, you know, bad about it, but the husband's available, biblically speaking. In Christ, to marry in Christ, Paul has a strong recommendation to stay single so that you can please the Lord. But biblically speaking, the male is available because that marriage contract is over. And so that male can't get married to, you know, like whoever has to be a Christian. So you have, you know, the same thing where like, you know, another couple where, you know, the the husband dies 
And in the husband's eyes, boom, she's available. The surviving spouse is available. Both are, both are Christians. Biblically speaking, the two can get married. The two surviving spouses can get married. Biblically speaking. What you see in the church today is you have a guy who gets, you know, the wife dies, a lady who the husband dies, and they get married into the world. And then you look at families and they're a mess because they get married into the world. Complete and total disobedience. You know, all these things, walking according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh, all these left turns, and the whole time a heart can get hard. You see? An 11-day journey becomes a 40-year journey because of the flesh, because of the carnal nature. So going back to my concept, we're born into Adam. We are born into sin. Marriage under the law. Marriage. The only way that marriage contract can end is through death. And you know whose death it is? The law is still in effect. The law doesn't die. The law is still in effect, except it's not made for a righteous person. It's you and me that has to die. And that's what happens when we are crucified with Christ. We come that we go down in the water, the water baptism. You come up out of the water. You're a new creation in Christ. It's born again. And you're available. Formerly married to the law. You're available. And now you get married to Jesus Christ. Romans uh, chapter 7 verse 4. That you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. You see what I'm talking about? Intimacy, how beautiful it is. Male, female, I don't care. A female can hear this. Wow, you know, married to Jesus Christ, how beautiful. A guy can hear this. Like, married to Jesus Christ, what? But yes, married to Jesus Christ. Men, married to Jesus Christ. And when we're married to Jesus Christ, we are no longer under the law because the law is not made for a righteous person. We established that. Paul established that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. The law is still in effect. The law didn't die. Except that because we're married to Jesus Christ, we're not under the law. And the law is not made for us. It's not made for the righteous person. But the law still has a purpose. That's what we studied in chapter 7. The law still has a purpose if one uses it lawfully. You see? So this concept, it's not even a concept. This truth of predestination. It doesn't end at marriage with Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it, we abide in Him and Him in us. There's beautiful intimacy that happens. But don't forget, we're going to paradise. Zion. That's the predetermined destiny. And not the cheat. I'm going to have to repent of this later. And I will. As surely as the Lord lives, I will. But I'm going to speak as a man. I'm going to speak carnally to explain this to you. But consider, you know, my example of in and out. Consider that as being in paradise. Not paradise itself, but in paradise. So from a GPS perspective... We're in a big church van. And our church van, we GPS it. We're going to In-N-Out. 
it's all, it happens to be in the city of paradise. <laughs> we have to follow the instructions. We have to follow the route. We have to follow the way. The Bible says turn left, we turn left. The Bible says turn right, we turn right. The Bible says turn left again, we turn right. Oops, I made a mistake. We got to, you know, do a U-turn. GPS says do a U-turn. We do a U-turn. I'm speaking corporately as the body of Christ. But you do the same individually. Inside of your heart, inside of your mind. If any so-called teacher says that God predestines people to hell, they're wrong. They're wrong. The predetermined destination that God has for everybody is paradise. The question is, who's listening? Because the Spirit of the Lord, to the believer, the Spirit of the Lord that is in the will of the Lord is, is in accordance with the will of God in verse 27, in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit, from a GPS perspective, is directing the Christian to paradise. For the non-believer, GPS of the Lord is directing people to Jesus Christ. People that are born in, in the warehouse, the Holy Spirit is directing people to the door. Capital D, to Jesus Christ. And I'm speaking from an operational functionality perspective. But I'm doing so not to cheapen the word of the Lord. Not No disrespect or to dishonor the word of the Lord. But to teach you and to help you understand what is happening and what the Lord has done. Because He loves you. He desires this intimacy with you. He is so holy. And the world has a corrupt nature. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And in this corruption, He sends His Son. You see? He sent His Son. God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's how much He loves you. Very important to understand pro-orizo predestination, this predetermined destination. Now, with that concept, this GPS concept, going to In-N-Out Burger, you know, the voice says turn right and I go left. I'm, I'm disobeying the voice. And in 10 minutes, I'm not in that like the GPS told me I would be. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I have nobody to blame but myself. No one to blame but myself. You see? And when there's nobody to blame but myself, now you understand why God is long-suffering. Because He doesn't want me to disobey His voice. He doesn't want you to disobey His voice. He doesn't want non-believers to disobey His voice. But how will they know His voice unless they have teachers, unless they have preachers, and how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? How can they? The non-believers. Now you see how the Lord desires non-believers to hear the voice, to hear GPS, to hear the Holy Spirit. How... How desirable it is for him. And when they don't, when they ignore this voice, 
When they kill the prophets, when they kill the preachers like they did with Paul, do you see why the Bible says he is long-suffering? When he desires good things for all of creation, you see, it aligns with Scripture. But when you say God predestines people to hell, and then you keep you, okay, this so-called pastor tells me that God predestines people to hell. Okay, I'm going to believe that because this guy, he's the pastor. He says that. This teacher, he's the teacher. And I'm going to yield to the teacher. I'm going to yield to this pastor. And he says God predestines people to hell. So God predestines people to hell. And then I keep reading my Bible. And I get to the passage of God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And then, wait a second, in my mind, in that example, in my mind, I start thinking, wait, the pastor says that God predestines people to hell, this so-called learned guy, and the Bible says that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. It, there's no alignment. There's no alignment. But instead of me yielding to the Bible, I'm going to yield to this pastor. He's a New York Times bestseller. He's got a study Bible. I'm going to yield to this guy. No, that is not good. Let me tell you a better way. You yield to the word of God. Don't yield to a pastor. Don't yield to, you know, uh, uh, the teacher. They go out in the crazy town. They start teaching. Oh, you know, God predestines people to hell. Oh, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You can still be saved. They start teaching craziness. You know what you do? You yield to the word of God. And because you're a Brian, you acknowledge these teachings as false teachings. Because, you know, because you live in righteousness and the law isn't for you, you start to realize something different. The law is for that doctrine. The law is for the expositors of that doctrine. The law is for the teachers of that doctrine that does not align with sound doctrine. And that's a scary place to be. Under the law. That's a very scary place to be. You see? Now let's continue in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed. This word for conform is to be fashioned. Fashioned. To be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see how beautiful this is? To be conformed to the image of his son. To be fashioned to the image of his son. You know, it's much easier for your fashioning, for my fashioning to happen when we're soft clay in the hands of our Lord. Soft clay. It's much easier. I mean... Work with soft clay. It's easy to mold in your hands. But then you work with hard clay. You can't work with hard clay. I used to be kind of artsy. And whenever I had hard clay, you know what I would do? I would break it. You take a little hammer and you start breaking it into little pieces. And you take those pieces and you put it like in a little pot of water. And the water is what softens it again. And after, you know, a week, two weeks, a month, that clay can be moldable again. And that's what happens to a hard heart. Hard hearts need to be broken. Hard hearts need to be broken. 
You know, for uh, for uh, uh, Pharaoh, look what it cost him. His hard heart, his pride in a hard heart. Look what it cost him. He said, oh, uh, 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 <clears throat> uh, God, God, God hardened his heart. Yes, it's true. It's biblical. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But when you read the passage in Exodus, as we studied, remember, Pharaoh hardened his heart first time. He hardened his heart the second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, and then boom, God hardened his heart. It was a form of judgment. Don't let your heart become hard. You say, wait a second, I'm a Christian. Once saved, always saved. My heart can't be hard. I'm a Christian. Well, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see? Look at Nebuchadnezzar. His heart was hard. And he lived to rejoice once again. How he was humbled before the Lord, broken before the Lord, and how he lived to honor the Lord once again and praise the Lord. Look at Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, two men with hard hearts, both prideful. You see? In verse 29, he says to be conformed to the image, to be fashioned to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So Jesus is, you know, it's a gimme. He's the firstborn among many, Jesus Christ. But what about you? Is he, is he the firstborn to you? Is Jesus Christ the firstborn to you? He's, he's already the firstborn to many. If you're a believer, yes, praise the Lord. If you're a non-believer, no. If you're a non-believer, this doesn't apply to you. But I say, yet. Because you can go from non-believer to believer, and then your answer can be yes. You see? So Jesus is the firstborn among many. That's a fact. But whether it applies to you depends on your, you and your decision with Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, then yes. He's a firstborn among many, and you're in that family tree. If you're a non-believer, no. You're a non-believer. You haven't gone to the door. You're still in the warehouse. Who knows where you're out in the warehouse? But you haven't even gone to the door. And the whole time, because the Lord has, you know, He's predestining you to paradise, you have to listen. Do you have ears to hear? Who is it that's in that warehouse who is not under the laws of the warehouse? They've kind of uh, snuck in to wake people up. Those are messengers of good news to take people to the door, bring people to the door in this big crowded warehouse that we call the world. And the ones who have found the door, have exited the door, have intimacy with the Lord, the Lord says, okay, I want you to go back to the warehouse. We go back to the warehouse. Where are these people? Let me tell you the good news. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the door. Here, hold my hand. Let's go to the door. So if you're a non-believer, listen. Listen. What are the preachers saying? The godly preachers. They're saying, go to the door. 
And the whole time, so you start walking to the door. Sometimes they'll say, here, hold on to my hand. Hold on to my hand. We're going to the door. And you hold on to that hand. And you go to the door. And the whole time, you've been predestined, the predetermined destination, paradise with the Lord. You're just baby steps from fish to lamb. You see? No predestination to hell. That is so, that's so against Holy Scripture. To predestine a soul to hell? No way. That's crazy doctrine. That is not sound doctrine. Turn with me really quick to the book of, well, before we go there, <clears throat> let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read it again if you remember our study from Numbers. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock. Notice capital R, rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Very interesting. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and did not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, which is a warning. Upon whom the end of the ages have come, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Very interesting. All these things that we read about in the Old Testament, they are written for our warning. For our warning. Now, turn with me to Lamentations chapter 1. Lamentations chapter 1. The book of Lamentation breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Because you know what happened when you read the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah is you know, the, 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 the uh, preceding book. But the book of Jeremiah, it breaks my heart because you know what happens? You have Judah. Israel has already gone into Assyrian captivity, but then you have, you know, the, the so-called hardcore. You know, when the, the ten they divided the ten tribes of the north, the two tribes in the south, and the two, two tribes south was Judah. And so that was what's in Jeremiah's age. You know, he was in Judah. And what happened, you know, they were like, okay, yeah, we're, you know, the Lord is for us. We're of the elect. We're not like those, the, the, the liberal Israelites of the 10 tribes in the north. You know, we're hardcore. The Lord is for us. And, you know, we're with the Lord and the Lord is for us. You know, we're of the elect. We're the called of God. We're a special people. And then the Lord calls Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, I need, you know, I need you to send this message. I need you to, to say these things to Judah. And it was messages of judgment, messages of repentance and judgment coming. And all the prophets, they called Jeremiah the weeping prophet, the lonely prophet. You know why? Because he was lonely and he was weeping for his people. 
And what blows me away so much, you know, that the people, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. Jeremiah, you're so dumb. What are you talking about? We're the elect. We're good to go. You know, once saved, always saved. We're good to go. Oh, Jeremiah, you know, you're such a legalist, Jeremiah. We're of the elect. Our prophets say this. Our prophets say we're good to go. And then Jeremiah would go to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord would tell Jeremiah, Jeremiah, these aren't my prophets. I'm not even speaking to these guys. You know, they're getting their message from their bellies. They're not getting it from me, Jeremiah. I'm giving you my message. And I want you to tell the people. And they hated Jeremiah. The people hated Jeremiah. And so you know what happens? The Lord calls Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the Babylonians, the Lord calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and he uses Nebuchadnezzar as a tool of chastisement to Judah. And everybody, the city is just destroyed. All of Judah destroyed. The people taken. The old people were killed. The mighty men of Judah, the warriors, killed. The young kids, you know, they were taken captive as slaves. And these young kids is where you get, you know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, Abednego. That's where you get Ezra, Nehemiah. They're older. Remember, they were in captivity, Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So they were, you know, abducted as little children. And so you get like Nehemiah, Ezra. Now they're old because they've been in, you know, Babylonian captivity for so long. So you see like, whoa, like this chastisement, a 70-year chastisement, that's hardcore. And the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And all these things were written for our admonition, just like we studied in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So you're done with the book of Jeremiah, you know, and Judah is just asunder, smoldering, destroyed. Then you get to the book of Lamentations and it breaks my heart. Because it's like a dirge. It reads like a dirge. Like a, 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 like a, a, it's like it's dead. Like if you ever gone to a funeral, like a Christian funeral, that's, I don't even consider that a funeral. It's more like a celebration. It's still sad, but it's more of a celebration. But you know, I was, I'm a former Catholic. The Lord rescued me from Catholicism and praise be to the Lord. But uh, he rescued me from Catholicism, which isn't Christianity. It's, it's, it's Catholicism. Uh, it's not, it's, Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. So if you're Catholic, repent, repent and become a Christian, become born again because God loves you. But uh, so the Lord rescued me from Catholicism, but I've gone to, you know, Catholic funerals before. It's sad. It's crazy sad. And that's what I think of when I read Lamentations. Not like Catholic, but it's just sad. Everybody's like crying. Everybody's growing their black and they're, you know, got the thing on and they say, but that's what I think of like the dirges that are given there. Uh, is what I think about when I think of the dirge in Lamentations, and it's done by beautiful Jeremiah. And this is verse 7, Lamentations chapter 1, verse 7. In the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the enemy with no one to help her. The adversaries saw her and mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. Whoa, what happened to Jerusalem? What happened to Judah? Jerusalem has sinned gravely. Therefore, she has become vile. Whoa, we're going to see passages in our studies in the Old Testament. 
you're going to see how Jerusalem is like a holy place. And it's beautiful when it happens. But in the course of time, as we read here in Lamentations chapter 1, verse 8, Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore she has become vile. So something that was once holy became vile. Have you seen that? Does that ring a bell at all? Does that ring a bell? Look inside the church. I'm not talking about the world. The world is fish. I'm talking about inside the church. Have you seen something that was once holy become vile? Even among the ones who say, oh, we're of the elect. We're of the elect. We're chosen of the Lord. You don't even need me to answer. Because we live in a day and age where it is seen. It can be beheld. Look what happens here. All who honor her despise. All who honored. Past tense. All who honored her despise her. Because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. You see how sad this is? How many people, it's like, whoa, you know, it's like their nakedness is exposed to the world. Former Christians. Former Christians. What about Christians who are uh, becoming vile? Where are the other Christians who will say, hey, cut it out. Put down the crack. Put down the meth. Put down the pornography. Put down the whatever. Where are the Christians who will tell those people? In the warehouse. And then all of a sudden you see a person becomes vile, more vile. That's the danger of trespass. You say, wait a second, you know, I have eternal security in Christ. Okay. Okay. But don't forget also that in Acts chapter 1, something else is revealed. In Acts chapter 1, verse 25, Judas, by transgression, fell. Fell. That's the danger of transgression. Oh, yeah, I'll go ahead and do this, and God will forgive me. I'll repent about it later. You know, my friend, you know, he's got the, the finest marijuana from Chiapas, Mexico. We're going to go get high. And yeah, I'll repent. No big deal. God will forgive me. He is love. And then so here I am. I'm doing marijuana. And then my other friend pulls out. Hey, look, we got this meth now. Let's do this meth. And I keep doing it repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. All of a sudden I have meth mouth. And I can say, wait a second. You know, look at the glory of the Lord. No, what happens? I become vile. The same thing, the same thing applies with alcoholism. The same thing applies with sexual sin. It just becomes more vile, more vile, more vile, more vile. I talked to a child molester, convicted child molester. And a convicted child molester, he tells me, he says, it all started with pornography. The objectification of women, the women, you know, my, my, is an object for my pleasure. Women. And it was like a drug, you know, the next fix. And it just it just gets worse and worse. A, a devolution. Devolving. And then all of a sudden the target is no longer women. It's children. And this person in the fulfillment of his lusts molested children. You see? Sexual desire from children. I have to be very careful because... You know, truth be told, I want to kill people like that. I want them dead. And, you know, I'm going to have to repent of that, but I just want you to know I want them dead. That's my flesh. That's my carnal nature. I don't like that. I don't like such a, 
violence committed amongst innocence, you know? I, I just hate it. And so I'm going to have to repent of my heart because I think about it and it's like, I want to kill him. And I want to be the tool. I want to be the vessel that does it. So I have to be very careful. But you see this devolution, this devolving of the moral fiber. And what happens? A person can become vile. A person can become vile. Just like what happened to Judah and Jerusalem. Let's go back to Lamentations chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Because they have seen her nakedness, yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. You see? Highlight that. She did not consider her destiny. She did not consider her predetermined destination. You see? We're going to read promises as we get in. Like we're going to get into uh, numbers. And we're going to see God's promises. We're going to read Deuteronomy. We're going to see God's promises. And then we're going to see what happens when they cross in the promised land. Israel, they cross into the promised land. When Jerusalem is established. We're going to see all these beautiful things. All these promises of the Lord. We're going to see a beautiful predetermined destination. And then we're going to keep reading. And you're going to see, wait, the Lord said, turn right. Israel, why are you turning left? The Lord says, go straight. Israel, why are you stopping? The Lord says, turn left. Why are you going right? Why are you, you're disobeying. And we're going to see what happens with Israel when they don't heed this predetermined destination. And now we get into Lamentations. And we see, verse 8, Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore she has become vile. That's a process that happens. The process of becoming vile. And then you see why in verse 9. She did not consider her destiny. People ask me all the time, am I predestined? Am I predestined? Well, I have to, you know, give it back as a form of a question. In the form of a question. Do you consider your destiny? Do you consider your destiny? And in so doing, do you yield to the Spirit? And do you heed the Word? If the answer is yes, that's a good path to be on. If the answer is no, change your ways, oh man. Oh, but my teacher says that, you know, I did the altar call when I'm 10 years, when I was 10 years old. My teacher says that I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. He's a man, right? No, no, my pastor was a woman. Oh, okay, even worse. You, you did the altar call when you were 10 years old? Yeah, I did. Okay. Well, let me tell you something. And turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 says this. In verse 11, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. When the devil come, Then the devil comes and takes, the word, takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while. And in the time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. 
So you say, oh, I'm of the elect. I'm of the elect. I'm predestined to heaven. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. What's up with the crack? What's up with the pornography? What's up with the alcohol? Why are you a tax cheat? What's up with these little white lies? Don't forget that it is entirely possible to believe in Jesus Christ for a while. Just as is written in Luke chapter 8 verse 13. Who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. It's possible to believe, but only for a while. So people ask me, oh, you know, am I predestined? Am I predestined to heaven? Because they grew up in this concept. They understand this concept of God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell. People have committed suicide. They go to a Calvinist pastor. They go to a Reformed theory pastor with counseling issues. And the Reformed theory counselor, the Reformed theory elder, the Reformed theory pastor, so-called. Because they lean on this idea, unbiblical idea, of God predestining people to hell. If a wayward soul starts to think, well, maybe I'm predestined to hell, which means there's no hope for me. Because God is sovereign. And I'm predestined to hell. So therefore, I'm going to put a bullet in my face. Therefore, I'm going to jump off the bridge. Become, you know, a hamburger on the street. You see? Suicide. Woe to those teachers. Woe to those pastors. Woe to those counselors. W-O-E. Woe to them. The blind shepherd, so-called shepherd. Woe to them. Now, let me tell you something. If you're in such a state right now, if you're that lonely soul who wonders, am I predestined? Am I predestined to heaven or am I predestined to hell? Let me tell you something. You are predestined to heaven. But you need to follow the instructions. You know, you're in the warehouse. I used to be in the warehouse, but not anymore. I'm I'm a spy, you know. I snuck in the warehouse. And the warehouse is a nasty place. It looks like it's fun. It lo- looks like everything's fine and dandy. But man, it's a nasty place. Here, hold my hand. Let me take you to the door. God has predestined you to heaven. Hold on to my hand. Let's go to the door. Here, you're at the door, here. And the door is capital D, Jesus Christ. You see? You have to consider your destiny. Don't be like Israel in Lamentations 1 verse 9. She did not consider her destiny. You consider your destiny. Take heed for your destiny. The Lord has predestined you to heaven. You have to yield to Him, yield to the Word, yield to His Spirit. Let your conduct reflect these things. Yeah, you see people, we live in a generation today where people are so hardcore into 
Reformed theory. They're so hardcore into Calvinism or Neo-Calvinism or mainline Presbyterianism. They are so stuck on that doctrine of man that they're now starting to make excuses for the mark of the beast. That it's okay to take the mark of the beast and you'll still be a Christian. You will not lose salvation. That's... It's highly unbiblical. And people follow that. People yield to man instead of yielding to God. Yielding to his word. No, you have to consider your destiny for all of your days because it will help you. It will help you. When your friend comes and says, hey, let's go do crack. Let's go to the strip club. Let's do this. Hey, let's do that. No way. Why? I'm going to Zion. I'm going to paradise. I'm not going to do that. Get, you know, get out of here with that mess. I'm not doing that. You take your crack pipe. Here, give it to me. Throw it away. Smash it. Flush it down the toilet. All the crack, all the meth, all the whatever, all the coke. You know, what do you think your line's now? Flush. You see? No, do away with that mess. That's garbage. That's the life of a Christian. When we, as the body of Christ, consider our destiny. Look at verse 9. You know, he says this. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction. This is Jeremiah speaking. Remember, the Lamentations is like a dirge for Judah. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. We're living in a generation today, and it's prophesied. Where the enemy is exalted, evil abounds, evil is on the rise, and it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. It's prophesied. It will come to pass if it's not already here. You're abiding in Christ and Christ is you in you. And you're like, you know, Lord, my affliction. Lord, behold my affliction. Because you see what's happening in the church. I mean, the world is the world. You have a heart for the world. But look what's happening in the church. You know what? Let me tell you why this is happening. You see evil abounding. And it's prophesied to happen. It's going to get darker and darker and darker. But God's people, there is light with God's people. It's called Goshen. Why is this happening? Because salt has lost its flavor. The very thing that the Lord told us. Salt has lost its flavor. And there's more. The church. The church does not consider her destiny. That's why this is happening. But even still, be of good cheer because these things must happen. These things must happen. The last day's church is more of a Jezebel. You say, whoa, that's hardcore. I know. But the last day's church is more of a Jezebel. But the last day's remnant, remnant, is more of a Jeremiah. Look at the Jezebel spirit. That was in Judah, in the book of Jeremiah. The whole time Jeremiah is saying, Repent, repent, return to the Lord. Re return to me, saith the, saith the Lord. Oh, Jeremiah, you're so crazy. 
you go to church too much, you know? Why do you read the Bible so much? You're such a legalist. You're so dumb. You're so stupid. Come on, let's drink. Come on, let's do some crack. Let's go to the strip club. Jeremiah, you're so stupid. That's a Jezebel spirit. Which entered Judah, which has now entered the church. But Jeremiah was a remnant. That's why I say the last day's church is more of a Jezebel and the last day's remnant is more of a Jeremiah. Now, let me ask you a question. What camp are you in? What is your camp? Choose. Make a choice. You say, oh man, you know what? I used to believe, you know, I'm doing crack. I just got, I just got done doing crack. The weekend's over. I just got done doing all this, you know, the party lifestyle. And I thought the whole time I did the altar call when I was 10 years old, I thought I was good to go. I didn't know it was possible to believe for a little while. Praise be to the Lord. You repent right here, right now. You repent. You repent. And get back on the path you need to be on. Walk with Jesus Christ. Get in this boat because we're going to Zion. We're in the same boat. This world is not our home. Be very careful with your roots. You see? Repent. That's what's so beautiful about repentance. That's why he said, you know, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how gross, whatever. I don't care. But you need to repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why? Because my master told me to tell you that he loves you. God loves you. Let's go back to our study in Romans 8. In closing, in verse 30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. You see, remember verse 30. So we studied predestination. So you look at verse 30, what you have here. You have predestination, you have called, you have justified, and you have glorified. Four things. You look at justification, beautiful. You look at glorification, beautiful. What are the two precursor things before that? Predestination and called. We looked at those things. Isaiah 60, uh, I always get, I want to say 66, but I think it's 65. Oh, it is 66. 66 verse 4, I called, no one answered. I spoke, they did not hear. So what, what, what camp are you in? I asked the question again, what camp are you in? You are predestined to heaven. You are predestined to, to paradise. You are. Because God loves you, he's long-suffering for you. But are you, is the phone ringing and you're not even answering? Answer the phone. Answer the phone. Let it not be said of you. Let it not be said of me because we're in the same boat together that God is calling and no one is answering. The phone is just ringing off the hook. We're spoiled today because, you know, phones ring once or you can put it in mute. You never know it rings. You know, do not disturb, you know, nothing, you're not disturbed. But back in the day, you know the saying, the phone is ringing off the hook. 
That's what happened. It would ring so much. Sometimes the little handpiece would fall off the hook. You had the little thing on the wall. It would ring so much and so loud that it fell off the hook. That's why the saying came. You know, the phone is ringing off the hook for you youngsters. Is the phone ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing? Who will answer? Answer the phone. And you know when I say answer the phone, you know what I'm saying? Open up your Bible and read the Word of God. And don't just read. There's another word. Heed. Read and heed. The two work together. The Lord says turn left, turn left. The Lord says turn right, turn right. Why? We're going to paradise. And it's not in and out that we're going to eat of. It's the tree of life that we're going to eat of. But our predetermined destination is paradise. The predetermined destination of non-believers is paradise. But you know what? Satan doesn't want them to know. And he hates you. He hates me because we tell them. And he'll kill you. He'll chop off your head. He'll do whatever he can to stop you. He'll get you involved with your crack. He'll get you involved with your sex. He'll get you involved with your meth and laugh along the way. But what about the ones who deny those things, who are heeding the voice of the Lord? The Lord says, turn left, they turn left. The Lord says, turn right, they turn right. The Lord is at the helm of this boat and directing our steps. What about those people? The enemy hates you so much. He wants to kill you. Why? Because he doesn't want people to know that God has predestined them to paradise. And the messengers, the ones with beautiful feet, the messengers of the good news who tell people in the warehouse about this door and the way out of this warehouse where everybody is under the law, everybody is married to the law, everybody is born into Adam. He loves people born into Adam. You know why? Because he can take people to hell with him. And that's what he wants. Because he knows that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. And he wants to hurt our Lord. But where are the messengers? Where are the warriors? So I say we're in this boat together. We're on our way to paradise. But you know what? We're equipped with fishing poles. Fishing poles. So let's go fishing. Let us go into this warehouse of nastiness and filth and yuck and all kinds of grotesque things. Why? Because the Lord is long-suffering for them, not willing that any should perish. And let's go fishing. You see? So now that we have you understand that concept, you read verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So this question, am I predestined? Am I predestined? You tell me. You tell me. Are you listening to the voice of the Lord? Are you heeding the voice of the Lord? When the Lord says, turn left, are you turning left? When he says, turn right, are you turning right? If the answer is yes, praise be to the Lord. 
you're heeding the word. You're, heed, you're yielding to the spirit of the Lord. That's a good thing. It's beautiful. In verse 31, what shall we say that what what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, can, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, notice here, this is a statement that is commonly used, and I say it a lot too. If God is for us, who can be against us? But you know what? It's not a statement when Paul says it. There's a question mark here. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, he could say it with, a, you know, as a statement. He can say it as a statement within his um, entourage, his small, what we read in the book of Acts. If God is for us, who can be against us? It is a question. But I've said it before more as a statement, as a, a means to encourage. Hey, let's stand with the Lord. Let us stand with the Lord. Whose camp are we in? And you know, this is something we take inventory of our souls, of our hearts, of our minds. We do it corporately as a church body once a month. But this is something that the Christian does constantly. If God is for us, who can be against us? The very thing can be said of Judah too. Oh, Jeremiah, you're such a legalist. If God is for us, who can be against us? Were they even with the Lord? You see, that's why sometimes you look at these passages, you kind of chop it down a little bit, and it's like, whoa, Lord, I need to yield to you. Whoa, Lord, my mind was going off into crazy town. I need to get my mind back where it needs to be. I need to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. You see? I need to set my mind on heavenly things, on spiritual things, on biblical things, not on the things of the world, not on the crack, not on the sex, not on the meth, not on the tax cheat, not on the money, not on whatever. You see? If God is for us, who can be against us? Question mark. In verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. You see how beautiful this is? Now, I have to say something. I read out of the New King James Version. And there are certain passages where I have a little beef with the translators. This is one of them. Because he says, How shall he not with him also forgive us all things? That's how it translates better in the Greek. How shall he not with him also forgive us all things? You see? Let's turn to John chapter 3 really quick. John 3. You see God's love here. John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. It's very powerful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But let's read on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. You see, 
And this is the condemnation that li- that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This also translates as the men love darkness more than the light, you see? And that's what you see in the church even. Wow, Lord, I love you know how easy it is to say to speak Christianese. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. It's a piece of cake to speak Christianese. You know how easy it is to go in church and lift your hands and raise them high in worship? That's a piece of cake. But in your heart of hearts, whose heart is bowed before the throne of grace? The Lord knows. Whose heart is bowed before his throne? This is something that mankind cannot see, but the Lord can, and the Holy Spirit knows. Loving darkness more than the light. To say, yeah, Lord, I love you, I love you, Lord. But you know what? I also love my meth. Wow, Lord, I love you, but I also love my coke, my sex, my alcohol, my whiskey, my good friend Jimmy, Jimmy Beam. You see, I also like being a tax cheat. I can earn an extra $5,000. I like being a tax cheat. I like paying people under the table. I like gambling. I even fast and pray, Lord, that you'll bless me. What are you talking about? The Lord's going to bless that? The works of evil? He's going to bless the fruit of that? No, the fruit of that is cursed. Yes, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked, but the fruit of wickedness is nasty. It's cursed. But the fruit of righteousness, it is blessed of the Lord. In verse 20, still in uh, John 3, verse 20, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So, you know, this example I gave of this big grand warehouse, it's also a dangerous place. You'll find fish. You'll find fish. But there's also going to be people who want to kill you. Who want you dead. Because, you know, I like this. Forgive me for saying it like this, but I kind of think of pimps. There's like spiritual pimps. You know, they're like, they're satanic. And, you know, they like, you know, their workers. They want their workers to exploit their workers. And they don't care about the workers. They care about the money. But they exploit the workers. And then the worker, you know what? She wants to get out of prostitution. And, you know, the pimp will kill her. Leave her in a, you know, dirty alley. He's made money off of her. He's pulled profit from her. She wants to get out of that lifestyle and he'll kill her. Because, you know, she can go to the cops. You know, uh, there's a saying, loose lips sink ships. So she's going to go out and talk to the cops. The cops are going to come arrest him. He's like, no way. She's going to kill her. Her value of her life was worthless to him. So we go into this warehouse. A nasty, nasty, ugly place. Very ugly place. And you find the prostitute. And she holds on to your hand. And you take her to the door. But somebody in that warehouse, her pimp, it's going to want to kill her and kill you too. You see, that's when we put on the warrior suit. 
So we got our fishing poles, but then we have our warrior suits too. Don't forget, like the weapons of our warfare. It's multi-pronged. Fisher of men making disciples, but then at the same time, we're warriors at the same time. Learning how to fight, knowing how to fight. So tough guy pimp, you know, he wants to handle business. It's like, "Mm mm-mm, no, we're trained in the word. We know how to fight. We're not little pipsqueaks. We're trained how to fight. And I don't speak carnally and pridefully in saying it like this. But from a spiritual perspective, that's exactly what is happening. You take the fish, you take the prostitute to the door, you take her to Jesus Christ. And the pimp who wants to, you know, get his money back. The pimp who wants to kill you. You know what you do? You kill him. He wants to kill you, you kill him. Spiritually, metaphysically speaking, you kill him because you know how to fight. You have a shield, you know how to use it. You have a sword, you know how to use it. You're trained in hand-to-hand combat, you know how to fight. Verse 20 here, still in John 3, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they <clears throat> that they have been done in God. You see? Let's go back to Romans. In closing, Romans. In verse 33, what shall Who shall bring a charge against God's elect or chosen? It is God who justifies. Now, if you're going to rest your hat on this, you know, oh, I'm a chosen, I'm of the elect. I'll just echo the words of Brother Paul. Make your call an election sure. Make your call an election sure. Are you resting on your state of chosenness based on the teaching of man who is mere mortal? Because, you know, a guy who has a study Bible tells you that, you know, you are... uh, predestined to you know he can't even he can't even say it if you're predestined to heaven or predestined to hell but somebody could receive counsel from his organization and commit suicide why because under this doctrine he's in uh, the mindset that says oh i'm predestined to hell so there's no point for me so i'm just gonna bite the bullet you can't bite the bullet because the bullet's gonna go through your teeth See? So you rest your laurels, you rest your uh, statehood on, you know, oh, I'm of the elect. Okay. Make your call an election sure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Peter and Paul. I'll echo the, their words. Verse 34. Who is he who condemns? This is Catacrino. It's the judge, condemn, and damn. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You see how beautiful intimacy is? Verse 26, we see that the Holy Spirit intercedes. And now we see Jesus Christ interceding. The beauty of intimacy. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I love this question and I love the answer. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Remember how we started our study in verse 18. The sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy 
to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's going to be revealed in you? What will be revealed in you? I pray the glory of our Lord as he gives our glorified bodies. I pray the same for all of us, myself included. In order for that to happen, we have to heed the word of the Lord. He says, turn left, turn left. He says, turn right, turn right. You make a little mistake, repent, get back to where you need to be. And this intimacy that we have with Jesus Christ himself and the Holy Spirit who intercedes because of intimacy. Oneness with him. You see, in verse 36, as it is written, for your sake. Notice the capital Y here, for your sake. It's God's sake. For God's sake. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Remember, you know, this is hardcore because the church in Rome at this particular time, the cost of being a Christian was getting, it was intensifying. It was getting hotter and hotter and hotter, the cost of being a Christian. More intense. Possibly even your life. Ultimately, for Paul, it cost him his life. They chopped off his head. Historically speaking, you know, at the command of Nero, chop off his head. But he's the one who says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Look at what happens here. In verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. I love this so much because remember, what like this is hardcore because if you this the book of Romans, the book of Romans was written around Acts 20 and 21, around that time frame. And don't forget that the whole time Paul was going into city to city to city, preaching the good news, receiving uh, uh, um, uh, his suffering too for the name of Jesus. And the whole time the Holy Spirit was ministering to him, the Holy Spirit was uh, 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 imparting to him that chains and tribulation await him in Jerusalem. And he was on his way to Jerusalem. So Paul himself was enduring some hardships. When he talks about, you know, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Don't forget there was the famine. Remember the prophet Agabus in our study in, in, in the book of Acts? There was a famine there. Shall any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? No matter what it is. Distress, tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness or peril or sword. No. Let none of these things separate you from the love of Christ. You see what happens to the early church? What they did to the Christians for sport in their persecution? What they did to women for sport? Young girls for sport in the arenas? They would beat up the men and, you know, cordon off the men and separate the women, do terrible atrocities to the women, sexually speaking, make the men watch. And then they would kill everybody. Sometimes let in wild animals, lions and bears, let them in and let them eat the corpses, let them eat the Christians. That's what would happen to the early church. Our brothers and sisters in the family of Abraham, heirs of Abraham. That's what they did. And Paul is saying, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? 
Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril or sword? People say all the time, why would God allow us to suffer? Why would he allow us to suffer? Look at the suffering that's happened. Are you blind to history? But in all these things, we are more than conquerors, Paul says. Not conquerors. More than conquerors. You know why? You know how easy it is to retaliate? You know how easy it is? If somebody punches you in the face, do you know how easy it is to retaliate and punch them back? That's a piece of cake. Because there's no fight. There's no restraint. There's nothing holding you back. That's easy. Like I told you when I first read the account of Stephen, I was mad. Because I was carnal. I was very carnal at that time. And I read it and I was so angry because I thought, wow, he is such a weakling. He's not fighting. His friends aren't fighting back. But that's easy. You know, it's super easy to exhibit the works of the flesh. But what's harder is the fruit of the Spirit. Not that we do anything like, you know, to attain these things, but sometimes restraint is all it takes. It, it, I, I see Stephen now. 25 years later, I see Stephen, who I used to think was the biggest weakling. I see Stephen as the mightiest of warriors. Why? Because of his restraint. You don't see the fruit of the flesh. You see the fruit of the spirit. You see? That's why Paul says we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. You see? For I am persuaded, I am convinced, he says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Never, ever, ever forget these things. So you read the prophecy of Isaiah 53. Let's go to Isaiah 53 really quick in closing. Isaiah 53. And I have to be careful with Isaiah 53 because I don't like it. I don't like it. In Isaiah 53, verse uh, 5, but he was wounded for our prophecy of Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, it, of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You see? 
I remember reading long ago, I didn't understand these things. Lord, this is pleasing to you. I love Jesus so much. I'm so in love with him. And yet, Father, it's pleasing to you. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. Say we're in a time machine. We're in the upper room with Jesus Christ and the disciples. We're in the upper room. And he washes your feet. And he teaches you all these things. And you're just so in love with him. And then all of a sudden we go to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we fall asleep. We fall asleep. He comes back and says, hey, don't sleep. You know, I'm going to go pray, but you pray too. And then we fall asleep again and we're awakened and Jesus Christ is being arrested. And we're scared. We're terrified. Because he's arrested. What are they going to do to us? Look at what they're doing to him. What are they going to do to us? And so they take him away and we're left. He's walking away. They're mocking him. They beat him. They rip away his beard. They put a crown of thorns on him. They mock him. We see him scourge. We see all the blood. We see him carry his cross. And then all of a sudden we see the nails in his hand. We see the nails in his feet. He's put up on the cross. He's there and he's dying. And we're weeping. Lord, Father, how is this good? How is this pleasing to you, Father? How is this pleasing to bruise him, Lord? I don't get it. I don't understand, Lord. And the whole time we kind of listen, we hear him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, Lord, it just breaks our heart even more. And then we hear him, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And then boom, he takes his last breath. What? Lord, how is this pleasing to you? I don't get it, Father. Now let's fast forward to today. Now do you understand? Look at the family of God. Look at the heirs of Abraham. Look at the blood-bought people in Christ Jesus. The very means of his death is the very means of our salvation. Now we understand. Oh, Lord, I get it now. Because you are love. Not willing that any should perish. And you're long-suffering, Lord. I understand now. I get it. And you know what? The Lord has arisen. Jesus Christ is alive. Death could not hold him. Oh, death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? Let us look forward to our glorified bodies. We have oneness with Jesus Christ in a physical sense. And just as is written here in verse 18, we opened with verse 18. We're going to close in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, inside you, inside of me. Let's be a people that heeds the voice of our Lord as he directs our steps, as he directs our paths, as he guides us into paradise. God bless you guys. Love you guys.